0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us on this episode 45 of the new Faith and Family radio. Today I'm going to be talking about very specific ways to strengthen Catholic marriages reduce divorces, and also give you somewhat of an update regarding the Vatican's Family Synod just around the corner. Basically, what's happening in the Family Synod, I've just received a printout uh, that appeared on the internet that the head of the Pontifical Council for the Family assured folks who had been quite rattled that the upcoming family synod will not change the doctrine on the indissolubility of marriage and i'm very glad to hear that there is a german cardinal made some suggestions that were scary i guess you would say for those who hold to the traditional view of catholic marriage which is indissoluble But there's something that I think we need to be aware of because the same archbishop, the head of the Pontifical Council for the Family, said the council or the synod is most likely to look at ways of better marriage preparation, and boy, amen for me on that. And really, the majority of this broadcast and next week is going to be devoted. Just how can we better prepare for marriage, and right along with that, how can we heal existing herding marriages. But then he also mentioned that the Synod will basically focus on providing ways of wider access to church courts for requesting annulments. Now, this is a proposal that, from my perspective, I can't say amen to. Uh, But there is definite momentum going. I want to alert you to something. If you can't come in the front door to change the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage, and believe me, this has been under attack since day one. I am looking at a painting right now as I'm speaking to you of an executioner holding the head of St. John the Baptist on a platter. Right above that painting, I'm looking at a painting of St. Thomas More, who also lost his head for standing for the indissolubility of marriage. You see, from the first century through the centuries to the 21st century, this is a place where God really and his plan is attacked, because this broadcast stands on the statement of Pope, or I should say Saint John Paul II, who said that the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. And if something major is going to happen to the family, it's going to affect the wider culture and it's going to affect, without any doubt, the future of the church. So these are very high stakes. So there were some liberal cardinals who wanted to go in through the front door, in other words, change the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. There's some very good cardinals and some very strong opposition to that coming up in the family synod, and I think the front door is pretty much bolted, locked down, and safe but you need to be aware that there's always the possibility of attacking the indissolubility of marriage through coming in the back door you see while not attacking the very doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage it is possible to deny it in practice and really For the modern world and maybe even the ancient world, but I certainly know the modern world and I really know our young people, they don't look at what you say. Just like your children at home. They look at what you do and they realize by what you do is really what you believe. And so if you can change practice that basically jilts uh, Catholic doctrine, by practice, you're in effect coming in through the back door and denying what couldn't be done through the front door. Now, the idea of increasing the availability and ease of obtaining annulments has been directly and explicitly opposed by St. John Paul II, who I basically call the Pope of the family. Never has a pope done more on behalf and written more on behalf of the family. He directly and explicitly, in his addresses to the Roman rota, that's the highest court of the church, told them that making annulments easy was... Basically, a mistake. I'm summarizing his addresses that St. John Paul II gave in 1987, and he came right back in 1988 and gave it a follow-up punch. And then Pope Benedict XVI on January 29th in the year 2010 came back and reminded everyone about what St. John Paul II had said and emphasized it again. So This simple headline I'm reading, oh, they're not gonna change the doctrine of the church. Whoa, everything's okay. No, there's a front door and there's a back door. And the last two popes have explicitly warned that there's a threat to marriage by coming in that back door, by making the availability of annulments easier. And that, folks, is on the agenda. I want to read to you just one sentence From what St. John Paul II said to the Roman rota, that's the highest court of the church that basically deals with canon law and all the uh, legal regulations regarding annulments. Here's what he said, and I quote, and you're going to get this twice because I don't want you to forget this in the days ahead, quote, the scandal of seeing the value of Christian marriage being practically destroyed by the exaggerated and almost automatic multiplication of declarations of nullity of marriage in cases of the failure of marriage on the pretext of some immaturity or psychic weakness on the part of contracting parties. The scandal, seeing the value of Christian marriage being practically destroyed, see, not through the front door, but through the back door, through practice creating scandal regarding the value of Christian marriage, and particularly the indissolubility of marriage. And this was in 1987. He came back in 1988 and basically came and said just as strong, do not open the floodgates here. And then over a decade later, Pope Benedict XVI comes in. He gives an address to the Roman Rota on January 2010 and referred to what St. John Paul II had said. So I just want you to know that what is being casually talked about and headlined, oh, nothing to worry about, we're not going to attack the insolubility of marriage, yes. There's a scandal that can be created through the practice of what St. John Paul II said being marriage being practically destroyed by the exaggerated and almost automatic multiplication of the declarations of nullity. That, folks, is what we are facing. Oh, my. So, where are we today today? Well, you need to be aware that simply trying to accommodate church teaching or church practice, front and back door, to a popular culture is such a tremendous mistake, but my burden is what this error will do to children and young people. There is a marriage researcher at the University of Utah. His name is Nicholas Wolfinger. He wrote a book entitled Understanding the Divorce Cycle, published by Cambridge University Press, and his research found that if one spouse coming to a marriage has divorced parents, that new couple may face up to twice the likelihood of divorce as new spouses who don't come from divorced parents would. Twice as likely for divorce. It gets worse. Spouses who are both children of divorced parents, and it's a a peculiar thing that... um, people getting married sometimes find each other in a certain way. This is not unusual where you have both spouses coming to a new marriage. Both of their parents were divorced. Those marriages, those new marriages now face a three times more likelihood of divorce. There are ramifications for trying to accommodate a divorce culture. I realize this is a serious situation. There's a lot of people hurt that divorce is not an easy thing. But listen to what Pope Leo XIII said way back in 1880. I wish people had listened to him. He wrote an encyclical on Christian marriage, and he said this, divorce, once being tolerated, there will be no restraint powerful enough to keep it within the bounds marked out. In other words, by making divorce easy in a culture, he'll say, well, we're just gonna do it with these one or two exceptions. And then all of a sudden, the exceptions grow to several exceptions to becoming a norm. And then he goes on, Pope Leo Thirteenth: great indeed is the force of example and even greater still the might of passion." which such incitements it must needs follow that the eagerness for divorce, daily spreading by devious ways, will seize upon the minds of many like a virulent, contagious disease. Look at that Ebola plague just going through and devastating one nation after another in Africa. He's saying this is what happens when you start opening the door to make this whole process easier. John the Baptist lost his head. St. Thomas More lost his head. The Catholic Church lost the English-speaking peoples over the indissolubility of marriage. Now, nobody's going to come and cut anybody's head off at the synod on the family. They're not going to come in through the front door and attack the indissolubility of marriage, but here you have it on the agenda, providing wider access to annulments which St. John Paul II called a scandal, and it would be practically destroying Christian marriage to the exaggerated and almost automatic multiplications of the declarations of nullity. Oh my, so what do we do? Well, first of all, we're going to have to recognize that there's a certain momentum taking place in our culture, and there's Folks, I want you to just know, point blank, a lot of people say, well, why did you become a Catholic? I mean, I was a Protestant minister. I was happy. I liked preaching. I liked baptizing my kids. I was a church planter, did evangelism, all types of things. What why did you become a Catholic? I'll tell you, there's one reason I became a Catholic, is because I followed St. John Paul II's teaching on marriage and a family. And I saw that without the indissolubility of marriage in the modern world, the family was going to collapse, and as a result, so would the culture, and so would the church. And therefore, I saw there was one place left in the world. And believe me, if I thought there was two, I would be at the second place, because through a lot of ignorant prejudice. I was against Catholicism. I led people out of the Catholic Church. But because of the witness of the indissolubility of marriage, I saw this is the place. This is the one place left in the world where the future of the family has a hope. And folks, I just can't say strong enough. We need to really listen. And you know, it's nice to make Pope John Paul II a saint, but it's dishonoring to him then to, to turn around and ignore what the Pope of the family has said about this whole process. Have you heard a headline citing what St. John Paul II said about doing what might happen next month to sin on a family? No, you probably haven't. His teaching on the family is already stuffed down the Orwellian memory hole. It's time to pop it back out. Now, before I get too worked up, I better tell you, you're listening to Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood, and I'll try to settle down here a little bit. All right, what I want to do and just begin today, I'm just going to just start the process. We're going to start a little mini-series, because what I do strongly agree with, with the Synod on the Family, is better marriage preparation. And I would go right along with that, uh, is that Help for families in crisis. I I have a headline here, in fact, when basically Pope Benedict was giving his stern talk to the Roman Rota back in 2010, uh, he raised a few eyebrows and said that tribunals should do their best to save marriages. So I would say both left and right hands here. The left hand how do you, on the front end of marriage, make stronger marriages? Hey, I am all for that. Amen, amen, amen. And on the right hand, how do we help existing marriages that are going through tough times? How do I, How do we, together, in the church, make for strong marriages out of hurting marriages? Okay, that's what we want to do. And I'm just going to start today with a practical step or two, and we're going to follow up in succeeding broadcast on practical ways this might be done. You see, rather than increasing annulments, which will have the effect, particularly with young people, of thinking, well, I always have an out. If that doesn't work, that's not how a marriage should start. I'm going to show you in a minute why this is important. Rather than increasing annulments, we want to be decreasing divorces and strengthening marriages. So here we go. What we need first up is to consistently emphasize commitment. Now, you may not heard of a whole lot about commitment, but if you're kind of up, so to speak, on the latest research by marriage experts, commitment has shown up on the radar screen as a major, key ingredient for a lasting, intimate, loving marriage. It's it's this. A commitment needs to be total, unconditional, and lifelong. In other words, it's not like, you know, I pledge you my love as long as we both have happy feelings and both uh, scratch each other's back. No. In sickness and in health and riches, poverty, good times, bad times, It's that commitment which forms a glue that gives couples the power and the investment in their relationship that they need to get through hard times. Now, what these researchers described, if this solid, lifelong, unconditional commitment is made, then couples had a tendency to what? this is their term, to invest more in the marriage. In other words, to put more into it, okay? If you're going to be in this for your whole life, you might as well make it a happy marriage. So you work at it. You you do what you can for your spouse in order to make the marriage a happy one. Now, on the other hand, if a young couple or older couple kind of has in the back of their mind, hmm, well, maybe... Maybe if I do this or that, or maybe if we're no longer happy, or if I no longer please him or her, they might leave me. And couples who fear betrayal, or maybe fear a spouse filing for divorce. Hey, you're saying our neighbors to the left of us and our neighbors to the right of us did this. You know, Maybe it'll hit our marriage too. What's going to hold us together? And so there's either a conscious or subconscious, withholding of investment in marriage, kind of holding back a little bit. And thus, a weak commitment to the marriage, thinking that it's not indecisible, that there may be a condition or a happen or a circumstance which would lead to a divorce, well, then you lack the necessary investment in that marriage. And then every marriage is going to go through rough spots. And what do you do in a rough spot? Start thinking, my bailout strategy? Or start thinking, we got to work our way through this. And when you hit the rough spots, whether or not you have that total and unconditional commitment is what will see you through. And they have found that a major cause of breakup is simply, there's this kind of unsettledness in couples that has at its root, a lack of commitment that results of a lack of investment to work through situations in the marriage, particularly difficult ones. And you can see here, now I've just given you the latest, and I'll refer you to a book if you want to uh, look at this more. I've just referred you to some of the latest marital research that's 2,000 years old because Jesus came and besides establishing a new covenant with God, he also impacted dynamically the marriage covenant and reestablished the creator's original intent for marriage Raise marriage up to a sacrament, which means there's graces available to do what you vow. Okay, it's not all up to you. God wants to help in this whole process. That's called grace, and he's got lots of it. If you look at the wedding of Cana, gallons of it, unimaginable gallons of it if you really call out to him for help. But the point being, for 2,000 years, the church has held up the indissolubility of marriage both in doctrine and in practice not infallibly in practice but it's held up its witness believe me you're listening right now to a guy who had pretty big prejudices against the catholic church but i knew that something had to something had to happen with marriage or else the family was just going to collapse and i saw in the catholic church what was needed for modern families. And so this ancient teaching of the Catholic Church is the exact same thing, in different words, what the marital researchers are saying for commitment. Not iffy commitment, not I feel real good about this commitment, but an unconditional, lifelong, total commitment. That's what we talk about, about indissolubility, lifelong love. And if you have the commitment for lifelong love, then you will find that you'll be doing your part for lifelong love. And if you stay in it long enough, a lot of times when you think it's hopeless, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because God tests our faith a little now and then, you know, sometimes it can look rather bleak like Good Fridays, and if we have enough faith to hang around till Sunday morning, well, there's things called resurrections, not only bodily resurrections of our Lord God of the universe, but there's resurrections of our marriages, if we just have the commitment and the faith and the trust to see this through. Now, if indissolubility is obscured by practice, like my Catholic friend to the right of me, my Catholic friend to the left of me are all going through divorces and getting annulments because they've been made much easier. Well, what's that going to do? I'm going to go back to St. John Paul II. Let me see it here. Okay, he said, by preventing the ecclesiastical tribunal from becoming an easy way out, for the dissolution of marriages that have failed, it prevents, in fact, any carelessness in the preparation of young people for marriage. Now, the Sidon wants to help young people prepare for marriage, and what Saint John Paul II is saying to the Roman Rota: the way you do that, if you uphold the indissolubility of marriage and don't make a Available where the church teaches they shouldn't be given uh, an easy way out, then young people won't approach marriage in a careless fashion. They will have thought because they're saying, once I take that step to the altar, it's lifelong. That's what I'm vowing. And you know what? The church really seems to, really seems to mean it. And so I need to think about this. And the step I take will be a total, unconditional, lifelong commitment, and that will be the foundation for a lifelong, loving marriage. And to me, this is just astonishing that the latest in marital research undergirds what the church has taught and what Jesus taught and what's been around for 2,000 years. Sometimes, though, we need to hear it from the university So if you wanna hear it from the university, or you can learn from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but if you wanna hear it from the university, the book is The Heart of Commitment, subtitled, Compelling Research That Reveals the Secrets of a Lifelong Intimate Marriage by Scott Stanley. And a quick Google search for The Heart of Commitment by Scott Stanley will put you in touch with the latest university research on what makes a marriage last. If you don't want the book, just turn to the Gospels or turn to the teachings of St. John Paul II, who told us that the future of the world and of the church passes through the family. You've been listening to episode 45 of Faith and Family. This is your host, Steve Wood. Pay us a visit at familylifecenter.net or dads.org. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at FamilyLifeCenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.FamilyLifeCenter.net.